On this DMV Sports Roundtable, the Redskins need to defend their turf again this Sunday against Aaron Rodgers and the Packers after looking out of sync and anemic against Indianapolis. I think it's going well. I think it's going really well. Oh, you do, Alex Smith. Well, we've got a few guys in here who may have something different to say about that. Later, we'll hear from a Boston blogger and an author about how the Patriots might use receiver Josh Gordon now that Cleveland has cut him loose. He's Jerry Thornton, author of the new Pat's book, Five Rings. And WTOP.com digital sports editor Noah Frank will tell us why you should maybe be thinking a lot more about Fresno, California, if you're a Nationals fan. I'm Dimitri Sotis. Welcome to this new episode of the DMV Sports Roundtable with our man with the encyclopedic sports knowledge, Jamal Bowens. A little later, Chris Chion of WTOP Sports will be here as well. We'll get to those uh, skins in a minute, but the Washington Nationals, Noah, not fulfilling our playoff dreams this year, but they are making news through a deal now that they have with the Fresno Grizzlies of the AAA Pacific Coast League. So what, Washington gets its budding young stars from the other side of the country? Yeah, well, this is, this is sort of complicated. And just real quick before we talk AAA, the Nats are not actually dead yet. <laughs> oh, well, I, uh, mathematically. Right. It's conceivable that, that the Braves who play the Phillies and then have to finish the season on the road at the Mets and again in Philadelphia could continue to collapse. They played pretty poorly of late. This might have been a missed opportunity for the Nats. They, they had a chance to add on and patch some holes instead of kind of fire selling away. And, and I mean, they're going to end up finishing, you know, within possibly within five games of the, of the division, mm. even after all of this, which is kind of crazy. Well, you'll notice my carefully crafted sentence, they are not fulfilling our playoff dreams. So <laughs> yeah. that leaves a little right. play for, you know, I'm, uh, you know I'm, I'm not saying they're the, dead, but I'm glad to hear the Nats out, you know, mathematically dis- disqualified. But, you know, to be honest, I the season ended for me about uh, maybe last month. Yeah, I mean... I've checked out. As soon as football started, I checked out with the Nets. The fact that, that ownership, you know, wrote this letter saying, we're not giving up on this team and we, we believe in this team, but the only thing they did was get rid of one of their relievers at that point. I mean, they, they had a chance to, to maybe add a Wilson Ramos and to maybe add, you know, right. a couple of pieces to, to just get them through until everybody got healthy and, and patch up around the edges and... You know, it had two really inexperienced teams in the division ahead of them that you were, you knew one of them was going to collapse, and that turned out to right. be the Phillies. But the Braves have not played that well, and I mean, they're they're you know if they get it together and they and they finish 500 down the stretch, they'll still finish around 90 wins, but they might not. And this might have been a, a winnable division at, at 86, 87, 88 games, which is is crazy um, that they would sort of punt on it and. You know, I come August. I understand why they sold off the way they did. They really either had to buy low or sell high, though, right at the de- the deadline, and they didn't do either one. And so they just sort of <laughs> treaded water here until the finish. Yeah, line. Ramos was a move that I thought that they should have made uh, at the deadline, but you know, at this point, it's neither here nor there. You know, they've done what they've done. You know, yeah, they're still in it mathematically, but I don't have that optimism that that's going to take place. And we're kind of just looking to the future at this point. I want to be clear. I am not optimistic in any way about their playoff chances. I'm just putting it out there that they have not been mathematically eliminated. But let's look to the future because the future is really strange and interesting. The Nats are going to be affiliated for at least the next two years at the highest level of the minor leagues. East Coast teams really don't want to be trapped out West for obvious logistical reasons is fresno california which is a 2700 mile drive or whatever it is from from dc and obviously from harrisburg too it's which is important that the nats double a you can't get players back and forth to either level easily it's not the worst case scenario speaking as a former nationals employee and a former fresno grizzlies employee (laughs) 
And interestingly, is the other place that was kind of open, a former San Antonio missions employee. Uh, I was the PR director in San Antonio for a year and in Fresno for two years before I came to work for the Nats. Fresno is good ballpark. It's getting older, but they're they're making some renovations on it. Um, they have a new ownership deal there, uh, much more stable uh, deal with the city there. A lot of the same... Um, management side is, is there from when I was there. They're, they're really well run promotionally. They do a great job and they take care of their guys and it's good facilities and it's just a huge pain to get in and out of the Fresno airport which only flies directly to like Denver and Phoenix and Vegas and like it's going to take two flights to get anybody anywhere. Um, however, it's still better than San Antonio <laughs> which is uh, really not a AAA city even though it's a bigger city. The ballpark is an an old beat up double a ballpark that's really not meant for triple a baseball they got that deal thinking they were going to get a new stadium that has not happened the mayor does not want to give public money to a new stadium there so san antonio is a tough spot uh i really think the players will be happier to be day-to-day in fresno than they will be in san antonio um so that's why it's not the worst case scenario but certainly it's not exactly uh, an ideal scenario for the Grizzlies, for, for the Nats to have yeah, to deal with the Well, Grizzlies. that gets to the crux of it. All of us sitting around the D.C. area who are fans of the team, what does it mean logistically? Just a very long and tiring series of flights for players that are transferring back and forth, and, and could that hurt performance? I think that's kind of what we're, yeah, what we're worried about. I mean, what's tough is, you know, if somebody goes out if somebody, if a pitcher goes out, uh, you know, during warm-ups and, and pulls something that you, you are not going to be able to replace him that night. Mm. Like, that's not going to happen unless you call somebody from Harrisburg and maybe you can get somebody there in time, but not from your AAA team. You you cannot have guys, you know, even if it's if it's like an injury the night before, I mean, you're going to have to make a call immediately because if they're not on a flight by 7 a.m., they're not going to be able to hit a connector and get to D.C. in time. And, and it's just... You know, this is why the Blue Jays didn't want to be in Vegas. It's why the Mets didn't want to be in Vegas or you know on the West Coast. Um, yeah, it's it's just it's a huge logistical headache to to have to deal with that, and that's going to shape the way that that team looks at least for the next two years while they're out there. I don't think you're going to see a lot of top prospects in AAA. A lot of guys that you that that have any chance of really you know being regular contributors moving up and down from the minors i think i think you're going to see a much stronger it's it's good for harrisburg probably you're going to see a really strong double a harrisburg team with all of those guys instead of guys who you would normally shuttle to triple a or i think are going to end up being shuttled to double a which is usually thought of as a prospect league like that's where your young and up and coming guys go and then your sort of fringy guys sit in triple a but it's kind of going to kind of be the reverse i think just because the nats aren't going to want to have to ship guys all the way out to the west coast now there's going to be some interesting decisions to be made when they're playing in San Francisco or they're playing in LA or they're playing in Seattle or Arizona or Colorado or wherever they might be on the road, you know, based on the AAA schedule and where they, they may, if they think that they need a guy or they might need a guy, you might see more, you know, juggling guys across the coast. It's that's going to be uh, probably somebody's job in the front office mm-hmm. to, to sort of handle the big board and make sure everyone's in, in an accessible place when they need them to be there. It's just, you know, it, it can be done. It's just it's more of a headache to, to try to keep that organized. So to sum it up, it's not ideal, but for anybody to say, oh, the Nats are doomed now because their AAA affiliate is all the way across the country. Yeah, be- well, and, and, I, and I think it's important. It's better than being in San Antonio. The travel is, is tougher, but everything else is better than being in San Antonio. Yeah, because geographically, at least San Antonio is somewhat closer. Yeah, and it has direct flights out of a major airport that could go to the D.C. area. Like, yeah, sure, uh, of course, absolutely. It's one hour 
less you know uh or two hours two hours less behind you, know, you don't lose that extra time flying guys east but practically day to day they're better off out there the ballpark experience in fresno the surrounding area are there bars restaurants places for like is it a good investment for the nats to make like are they going to be bringing in a lot of re- revenue from like you know, people wanting to go to this location in Fresno and selling tickets that way. No, but <laughs> but but that's but that's also not a thing really at almost any minor league level. I mean, I, it, it, yeah, the the peanuts can play off right. of the Nats, right? Because right. they're in our suburbs and it's twenty miles away. Yeah, and, they're right here. But like that is that's a that is by far the exception. And and. If they'd been in Nashville, they wouldn't be doing it either. You know what I mean? Even even if they'd been where they wanted to be, there are it's that's just not a very common thing. It's why I mean, it's why San Francisco wanted to be in in Sacramento because they felt like that was an extension of their market. And and there are some teams that can get away with that, like Round Rock and Houston. You know, that's within a couple hours, Austin and, and Houston, and they 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 feel like they can sell that partnership. Uh, but that's a rarity. It's it's the exception, not the rule. Yeah, it's not as nice as like going out in Nashville and you have. It's not people aren't going to travel to Fresno. Probably Nats fans aren't to, to go check them out, but uh, it is downtown at least. The San Antonio ballpark is is basically FedEx Field location wise, uh-huh. except if it was directly across the highway from from Joint Base Andrews. Like it's literally <laughs> across the highway from Lackland Air Force Base, and these giant military planes would come, you know, buzzing over the press box five times a game, and you think they're gonna, on the like, training flights, you think they're going to crash into the outfield mm. wall. I mean, it's 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 a miserable spot there at least you're at least you're sort of around downtown if you're in fresno um but it's you know it's a big farm town it's it's not what we think of as like a like an east coast style city all right interesting future for the nats we'll spend the next 10 minutes on the skins here so they couldn't come close to defeating the team jamal and chris that they were supposed to beat in the colts maybe they can achieve the tougher task of getting past green bay what what do we just say about these you know dr jekyll and mr hyde i can say this unequivocally about this team they are consistently inconsistent. They could come out and win this game and maybe win it big, and I wouldn't be surprised. They could also go out and lose by 30, and I wouldn't be surprised either. I don't know who they are. I don't know if they know who they are, and they've been searching for some sort of identity. And I thought we had one going in after week one. I thought that was set. The blueprint was set, but my man Jay. <laughs> <laughs> Just cannot stop tinkering. The frustration with me and him is why he is so dead set. I don't know what a run game ever did to him, but he seems hell-bent on not sticking with one. The blueprint was said. You had two running backs go over 125 yards all-purpose since 2006 when Liddell Betts, and uh, people remember him, and Clinton Portis did it. The blueprint was set. Everything else will open up. Adrian Peterson had 20 yards last week. That's ridiculous. That should never be said in a sentence. Adrian Peterson had 20 yards. And when did we start running a spread offense? Yeah, I don't know. Was he coaching on Sunday or Saturday? I I don't mind the spread offense, but stop running stretch plays. Yeah, I don't don't mind that on a Saturday. I don't want to see it on Sunday. Uh, not then, not with what you had last week. No, nah, I'm I, I'm believing the spread offense. I mean, not like verify. I, but, I, but, I, Chris, moderated. What, I would say what they ran last week worked. It worked against Arizona. Why, but why go so far? But why go so far left? Uh, cause why I, go so far left? They, if that's what worked for you, 
at least give it a try. Do not abandon it completely after a few failed runs. Make adjustments. He'll stick with a passing game that doesn't work. Well pass, we'll go into the second half with it because he makes zero halftime adjustments. He never has, and he still continues not to do that. But to, what I wonder, one play, I thought I was watching Georgia Tech or or, uh, hmm. or Navy. We're running a triple option. We're pitching out. I don't understand some of these plays. He's got a third and one. Chris Thompson is at least 10 yards behind the line of scrimmage. Behind Alex Smith. On a third and one, why are you lying your running back so damn deep? That I agree with. That was a stupid idea, yeah. If you're going to beat this Green Bay Packers defense, I just rewatched them against the Vikings. They have a uh, a secondary that can be had. Mm-hmm. Throw the ball to Jordan Reed. And he's, still, he's healthy right now. We've got him right now. So I think that uh, the offense should run through Jordan Reed and Chris Thompson this week. Um, you know, Adrian Peterson, I think, was kind of the flash in the pan week one. I don't expect I don't, to see. I don't agree with I that. Think you do, you know. I'm coming from, see, you, you just said you like the spread offense. I'm coming from old school. I grew up watching Gibbs, and you do not abandon the run. You stick with it. If it doesn't, yeah, you get variations. You don't, you don't become stubborn with it and just, you know, bang your head into a, a, a brick wall. But you don't abandon it after a few runs. If it worked for you, let's carry it into the next game and see what happens. He's never done that. Week two last year, we ran over 200 yards against the Rams. Stuck with the run. Worked out, won the game. All was well. Then, from then on, got way left. Never got back to it. And I understand late in the season you couldn't because the offensive line was in shambles. And you're going to have that problem this week because it looks like Laval's not playing. You're going to have to shift Roulier to guard, Bergstrom at center, and they probably somebody off the street behind one of those two. But are we unanimous that it was only the play calling that, no, no, that no. burned us against no, the no, Colts? No, no, no. The players have to execute. That's what I'm saying. But, I, mean, but I, see, a, I see people... Two sides of the equation. Yeah, I see people... Well, of course it's the players. They're, they're the ones playing. They have to execute. I see people jumping on the players, but I also look to the play calling. Because to me, it was curious at best, and that's being nice about it. Now, did the offensive line block? No. They did not do their job. The offense did not do their job. They did the quintessential Redskin thing and keep rolling their defense out. Defense gives you two interceptions, gives you the ball back. You continue three and out, three and out, three and out, three and out. They're going to bend and eventually they're going to break. And they've done it season upon season. It's not new. I watch Red Zone on Sundays. And, and right. it, it's telling that I barely saw any of this game because it didn't make it to Red Zone. Because All they, we did was kick uh, field goals. I know. And right. I was at Jets Dolphins. So, like, I'm, right. I'm speaking. Well, all I, we did was kick field goals. Uh, yeah. Okay. yeah I, I mean, I, I so, but what I have watched a fair amount of so far in the first two weeks is the Packers because uh, they had national television games that I mm-hmm. actually sat and watched. And we and I saw a lot of, of their, their week two against the Vikings. And I certainly that they're going to have to find playmakers and, and get people in space to. But 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 I, I I do I do think that you have a point Jamal in the sense that they can't have quick possessions like they, no. like if you you might be able to to get away with that I mean they didn't but you you in theory could get away with it maybe against an, an Andrew Luck right against an Aaron Rodgers even a somewhat compromised Aaron Rodgers mm-hmm. you you can't just keep giving him the ball back no. every extra possession you give him he's going to burn you for a touchdown you know X percent of the time and uh, the the Packers have have played well enough. 
you know, really outside of that first half of that Bears game, I mean, they they should have beaten the Vikings. I know the Vikings mm-hmm. missed a couple of potential game-winning field goals, but so did the Packers, and that penalty toward the end is the only reason that the Vikings were even set up. They, I mean, the, the, the Packers should, should have won that game. I think their defense, it's not as bad as no, in, no, in I spots think... as it has been in the past couple of years. I, to where, like, you know, just like I said, I mean, a couple of little random plays, it really, they've, they've been better than teams that are better than Washington. Yeah, I mean, they've lost some on the back end, like you're referring to. And Steph Diggs, it's hard for anybody to cover right. Steph Diggs. He you know, made, and you know. They still, Clay Matthews, and they have people up front that can get to the passer. The, the, the offensive line cannot block the way they did last week in run blocking or pass blocking. But for the next two games, and maybe going forward, because we're playing a lot of tough quarterbacks, but it's like you mentioned with Aaron Rodgers, Brady, Breeze, guys like that, your best defense is your offense is to do what they did against week one, albeit Arizona, whatever, because everybody picked Arizona to beat us, so I don't want to hear all that. Mm-hmm. They're garbage. But what they did was, it was throwback. It was old school. They ran the ball. They dominated time possession. That's what I grew up watching. Dimitri Gibbs, you of know, that, that was the ground and pound. Things will open up in the pass game, but you grind it out. The run game is working. You get into a rhythm. And you dominate time possession. When you play Rodgers, Brady, these elite quarterbacks, you've got to dominate time possession. I'm starting it, to it get over them. that after watching this Mahomes-led Kansas City offense. That, that <laughs> yeah. is a well-oiled well, well, machine. Well, but, but here's the thing. Here's the thing. This they is, can this score is, quick. This is not Kansas City. They're not that explosive. Not as explosive. You do not have the weapons here to, to do that. And look at what happened to Kansas City last week. I mean, they went out and it looked like they were going to, you know, win that game by 40, and suddenly it was almost tied. Like, like, because right. the defense get, yeah. gets beat up. And because you don't have that here, you don't have that offense here, you can't hang your defense out to dry. I mean, I, I, I think. I, the the idea of of at least like churning the clock through yes. the running game and and yeah, Alex Smith is a West Coast offense quarterback. Like, mm-hmm. f- find find good quick hit plays right. that that get the yardage to keep moving the sticks cuz like i mean if you can win the time of possession in this game you can really change the narrative of it and score you, touchdowns yeah but but i mean we like need, we need six instead of, of three you have to you have to finish drives but <laughs> right. but but even just extending drives and exactly. keeping your defense off the field and and you know not giving rodgers as many right. opportunities if they don't do that i promise you they won't win because no. rodgers has also has the ability to score quickly they need a blitz. Redskins are uh, tied fourth right. for most uh, blitzes this, well, the first the, two weeks the, of the, the season pass with Rodgers' knee. Keep bringing it. Yeah. Keep bringing it. But the pass rush has been suspect. The first week, I understood strategically what they were doing because you have to kind of rush for. You have to keep David Johnson in check because he's just as effective in the passing game as he is. Although is, Arizona is doesn't get it. No, they don't. <laughs> but not. but scheme-wise, I understood why Manuski mm-hmm. called the game, why he called it, and it worked out. Where they do have an advantage where we have gotten better against as is against the run. The Packers' backfield is a, you know, you can throw names in a hat and just pick somebody out. I mean, we have Williams, Jones is back, Montgomery. They're not sure who's who in that backfield yet. And how, I mean, Jones has been suspended for the first two games. He's just getting back. Williams has been in, Montgomery's been in. So it's, it's musical chairs. And not unlike the Colts, you know, they, they did have some effective runs. But I think... Payne and Allen did show some dominance up front last week. So I think you can get them there, but you have to put pressure on Rodgers. He's not 100%, and his not, his 70% is you know better than 
Most 90% guys, yeah. of people, you know, 100%. Yeah. But you have to make him uncomfortable. He's not as mobile as he usually is, but he's still Aaron Rodgers. All right, we'll see how they do on Sunday. So let's talk to Jerry Thornton, a sports writer in Boston uh, with Barstool Sports and author of the new book, Five Rings, The Super Bowl History of the New England Patriots. And Jerry, first to a little news and then to your book, Can the Pats Succeed Where the Browns Could Not with Josh Gordon, who uh, <laughs> may still be coping with all kinds of stuff, substance abuse issues or, or other problems? Yeah, I will say this. The the odds are long, but there's not a franchise in the league that I'd say has a better crack at it. I mean, just you guys know his history as well as I do, how many second, third, fourth, 27th chances he's had. I mean, whenever they reduced his suspension from a year to 10 games and his first weekend, he violated. That's, that's a, a warning sign. Having said that, the reason I think the Patriots are well-positioned to maybe be able to reach this guy is they're not going to tolerate anything. I mean, you know, the Browns, I've, I've heard that the Browns were allowing him to leave practice to go to the locker room to check his social media mentions. I, 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 no kidding. Like, that that clearly, that approach didn't help at all. Whereas I think what they're going to do with him is just say, look, here's what we've done without you. We don't need to spend any extra time, burn any calories trying to get you in line. If you mess up, goodbye, you're gone. And, you know, we we let Wes Welker and Randy Moss and Richard Seymour and, and Lawyer Malloy go without blinking an eye. We're not going to stick around and worry about whether you're along for the program. And I hope for my sake as a Pats fan, but also for his sake just as a human being, that that works. Yeah, quick question. I mean, we've seen this work, and Belichick has, has taken on these type of players before. It's worked with Corey Dillon and worked with Randy yeah. Moss. But then you had the Chad Johnson and the, the Albert Haynes. Where, where do you think, just, you know, off the top of your head, where does he fall? You know, it, just what do you think he where he might fall in that? Yeah, by the way, to me, the, the floor of that is Albert Haynes. <laughs> oh, wow. <laughs> oh, man. Do you remember the videos of him where he'd get blocked and it'd be on the ground? Look, you're talking to Redskins fans, man. We've seen it up close and personal. (laughs) Oh, yeah. And and that was uh, him spending $100 million worth of Snyder Bucks, too, right? Well, he was no better with the Pats. Ocho Cinco, I think, just never bothered to learn the system. I I think he spent his whole life like, all right, run a seven, run a four. And he's like, what? I have to do screens? And he just never amounted. So I think, oh, boy, he better be better than Ocho Cinco because he had 16 catches in a season, whereas, you know, even I couldn't dare say that he'd be anywhere approaching Randy Moss, who, right. you know, Belichick and Brady will tell you, was the smartest football player they've ever encountered, and he got it here, and he worked hard. He just, and I love the guy, and I'm glad he's in the hall. He's, he's crazy. And he kept a lid on his crazy, but it's like shaking up a, a, a soda bottle. Like eventually that cap is going to come bursting off. And for him, it was three years and four weeks into his Patriots tenure, and he lost his marbles. All right, I want to talk about the Patriots' upcoming matchup this week against the Detroit Lions. No team throws the football more than Detroit. 76.43% of their plays are passing plays. Um, Is this Patriots secondary up to the task of stopping the Marvin Jones, Kenny Galladay, Golden Tate, and Matthew Stafford? Boy, every year now I try to just 
steel myself to the fact that for September, the Patriots will be a mess and just accept it and not panic. <laughs> because last year, let's not forget, four weeks into the season, they had done something no other defense had ever done. They gave up 300 yards passing each of those weeks. Mm. Uh, Deshaun Watson, in his third game, he had thrown for 208 yards in the first two games. He lit them up for 300. He, he made Cam Newton look like MVP Cam Newton. So uh, my best hope is that they give up big chunks of yards like they do, but keep them out of the, the end zone. Last year, they gave up the third most yards in the NFL and the third fewest points. It makes no sense at all. There's no logical reason that a defense should look like that. But that's what they do, especially in the early going. So I think it's a shootout, and I just hope that the Patriots have more uh, gun, you know, more bullets in the gun than Detroit does. We're talking to Jerry Thornton, his new book, Five Rings, The Super Bowl History of the New England Patriots. And Jerry, it's hard to imagine there was a time when nobody was giving the Patriots a chance, but that first Super Bowl victory for them, it was Kurt Warner and the St. Louis Rams. The Pats were the underdog in February of 02, and that's where it all began. You actually say the third ring is the one that established them as a dynasty. Do you want to briefly go through the five rings and, and the crux of your book? I'd written an earlier book called From Darkness to Dynasty, and it was about me growing up when the Patriots were the worst thing you can be in America, which is irrelevant. Like, they weren't hated because nobody spent the energy it took to even hate them. They just didn't matter. And overnight, they became this Cinderella, and so many things had to fall into place in that season exactly the way they did for them to win. Not the least of which is if Drew Bledsoe didn't get hit by Mo Lewis in early September, they don't bring in this guy off the bench who is the 199th pick of the draft and their fourth string backup. Like they carried four quarterbacks in 2000, some that's never done. And that guy's name is Brady. If he doesn't come in or if he comes in late in the season, maybe it, it never happens. But that was the first time in Boston sports ever that we had to use a cliche, a Cinderella team, you know, because the Celtics were always expected to win and, you know, the Bobby or Bruins, whatever, the Red Sox just never did. And then they came along and just, you know, they, they caught fire. And just when you were wondering, are they good? Are they one-hit wonders? You know, are they the next Beatles or are they um, Tommy Two-Tone? And this is here, <laughs> eight six seven five three oh nine. And by the way, Tommy Tutone's making a comeback. I, I can feel it. Oh, it's, I'm it's sure. <laughs> it's only been 35 years. Um, but they, it really wasn't until they won that third one, and you could sit there and say, wait a minute, we called Dallas the dynasty when they won three out of four in the early 90s. Like, this team is on to something, but that's about how long a typical NFL dynasty lasts, right, around – Maybe four or five years. The Niners maybe stretched theirs out a little bit. If you could have told me back in 2002 that in 2018 Brady would still be a quarterback and would still be talking about, you know, contending seven straight trips to the AFC Championship game, that's that's unheard of in this era. Patriots fans will not tolerate the rest of us putting down their team, but I'd like to know <laughs> if, if you guys realize, uh, at times anyway, how much like Yankees fans you are, uh, other entitled <laughs> sports fans. Oh, trust me. I, I, I went through that weird sort of phase where they went from being America's sweetheart to the most divisive polarizing, despise, I would not even say sports team, but pop culture institution in America. I mean, what band, what TV show, what, you know, uh, uh, 
movie is as hated as the Patriots are. There's nothing. And I've just learned to embrace it. And I, I hope that people in D.C. will understand, like, okay, this, this book isn't just for Patriots fans. Yeah, yes, it's about that. It's about the controversies. It's about everyone just thinking that they're cheating at everything that they ever do. And, and you know, the, all the, the spy gate and the deflate gate and the push gate and all this nonsense. It's It's been a wild ride. But as a Pats fan, I just learned to say, all right, say hello to the fat guy. <laughs> I don't know. If you're like me, I'm a Dolphins fan who uh, adores Tom Brady, so I guess uh, I would be very interested in something like this. I just ha- Have you met Tom Brady before, like in person, and as far as like, you know, all the reports about him just never satisfied, never really happy? Has that been your experience? You know, got to interview him on the phone uh, once or twice. I got to golf near his house and made sure that I stayed 100 yards of way so that I don't violate that <laughs> yeah. court order. Because um, apparently you go through a guy's uh, trash barrels looking for bits of hair, and there, that's a crime. I don't, I don't, <laughs> right, right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but uh, I, as far as his, his drive, it, I, it, it's real. It, it is clear. And, you know, we, we all know those certain special athletes that go beyond just having the talent, but doing the absolute most they can with it and never being satisfied. You know, like, you know, Michael Jordan shooting 503 free throws every day during the summer when he was already like the, the league MVP. And, you know, Wayne Gretzky couldn't stay off the ice. Well, Brady is that guy. I Just look at what he eats. Good Lord, I got that. I got his book, the TB12 method. As soon as I went through like the, the, recipes, I was like, yeah, that's what I'm never going to be. <laughs> athlete, you know? right. First of all, it starts with no beer and, sorry, I'm done. Yeah. Uh, yeah. But if you're eating dehydrated algae... Let me ask you one last one then, because there's three running backs on this team right now, Sonny Michelle, Rex Burkhead, and James White. Uh, do you, the fantasy community is expecting a, a smash game from Sonny Michelle, a game that he is going to announce that he is here and he is going to be worth that first round pick. Is that what you're expecting as well? Yeah, I, I have no idea what we get out of this guy because I was at camp the entire time and you barely saw him. He was hurt most of the time. It was surprising to me that they even pulled the trigger on the 31st pick to get him because, to me, I think they always can just go down the local bus station and pick up another guy, you know, like another what I call, uh, you know, Ben Jarvis, Green Ellis, you know, uh, uh, yeah. uh, you know, James, well, you know, James Corey Dillon is, yeah, of course, Dylan, just a, a guy that no one ever heard of. I mean, uh, Dion Lewis was fantastic. He led the league in rushing yards the second half last year. They said goodbye to him. I was, I'm surprised by Michelle, but he flashed last two moments there. He, he had a nice blitz pickup. Um, I, I think he's got some, some talent, but who knows? James White, though. He is one of those guys that's in Brady's circle of trust. And at the moment, there aren't a lot of those guys. And we've seen how, how clutch he can be. He's not going to get the ball down at the goal line, but he's going to get some, some catches for you. So if it was up to me, Rex Burkhead still seems like a serviceable guy, but I think James White is next to Brady and Gronk, their third most important offensive player right now. I have pulled Burkhead off some of my rosters, and I have uh, – Put Michelle in my flex this week. So I hope that, you know, this can be the week that he takes off Burkhead. I've had, I got better options, so I had to go ahead and let him yeah. go. 
Yeah, the Michelle thing is intriguing as anything. I can't wait to see yeah. what he can he can do. But he might be one of those guys that gives you five negative plays and all of a sudden breaks one. Yeah, he he's really versatile and he can catch the ball out of the backfield and he can run between the tackles. So he's one of those backs that can pretty much do everything. And when you saw him at Georgia, when healthy, you know, and you guys saw that part of him, he's not always healthy. He's not always available, and that's the biggest thing with him. But I think all around, I mean. There's not much he can't do offensively on the football field. Sure. I met a couple of guys who won a million dollars in daily fantasy because they picked up a patch running back uh, by the name of Jonas Gray. Wow, <laughs> yeah. Pride of Notre Dame. Comedian. Yeah, he had four touchdowns at 200 yards and then never started never. for them again. And you know what? I had him that game, and I, I cashed out. I was great that weekend, and like you said, he was never heard from again. That's why I don't I don't like to mess with their running backs because you never know what Belichick who he's going to roll out there from week to week. It's always a very tricky situation oh. fantasy wise. Yeah, that way lies madness. You're doing the right thing by uh, <laughs> by just avoiding it. Jerry, to finish up, you made a pitch that you know for Skins fans or fans of of any of the other teams in the NFL, yeah. you've written a football book as much as you've written a Patriots book. That's what I was going for, and you know, I, I write for Barstool Sports. We're in a reverent bunch. As much as I like to do X's and O's and stuff, I know it's really about entertaining people and making them laugh at the absurdity of it all. And nobody has had a more absurd ride than the Patriots have. And and frankly, if I'm a Skins fan, I'm going to look at this and go, okay, there's hope, you know, because nobody was a more dysfunctional family circus than the pre-2000 Patriots. They were threatening to leave all the time. Their games were not on TV because they were they were selling 40,000 tickets. Somehow I fell in love with that team, and it finally paid off because there was a lot of misery for the better part of my I was 22 years old hoping <laughs> that they would win a playoff game in my life. I have a 23-year-old son who just finished up uh, his tour in the Marine Corps who has seen them win, uh, go to eight Super Bowls and win five of them. Again, I, I say that not to, not to gloat, although I'm gloating, but just uh, <laughs> uh, to, to offer you guys hope. You don't always have to be uh, under the thumb of a failed owner like uh, Dan Snyder. Sometimes even, even a blind squirrel can find an acorn. And you know what, Jerry? I agree with that completely. Growing up, <laughs> After the 85 uh, Super Bowl, I remember growing up that the Patriots were pretty much the laughing stock of the league. And a lot of these people now that are growing up, and they they know them as winners. They know them as the dynasty of Belichick and Brady. But I am old enough to know, you know, the Irving Fryer years and the year after they lost to the Bears in the Super Bowl in 85 – how the wheels just completely fell off the bus, and how lean those years were up until the Belichick Brady errors. Oh yeah, I'm glad you mentioned Irving Fryer because when Vontae Davis went AWOL at halftime of the of the game last week, my first thought was Irving Fryer, who was the number one pick overall in the draft, once crashed his car leaving the stadium at halftime. Like <laughs> he said, wow. thirty minutes of football was enough for him on this particular day. Well, a few years ago. The Pats won the championship game against the Colts. Vince Wilfork was involved in a car accident on that same stretch of road, but his involvement was a woman's SUV had flipped over, and he went and physically lifted her out of the car to safety. Mm -hmm. (laughs) That's the difference between the Patriots I grew up on and the Patriots of today, where they've got these pretty much 
the high character guys like Vince Wilfork, very few just bad apples like um, like Irving Fryer was. But at the same time, the book is filled with the, the the scandals and the stuff that everybody hates them for. Trust me, including the fact they had a guy who uh, murdered a bunch of people. Uh, yeah, yeah, it's a weird <laughs> twist. None of us ever saw. Right, and right. It, it's all part of the story. Jerry, thank you for being so generous with your time. It was good to speak with you. Hey, it was my pleasure, fellas. It's the first time we've talked. Hopefully, it won't be the last. Hopefully not. We'll have you back on as soon as we can. And uh, and thank you again. Best of luck with this new book. Thanks a lot. Much appreciated. All right. Thanks, Jerry. Jerry Thornton, a sports writer in Boston. He's with Barstool Sports, as he mentioned, and the book is Five Rings, the Super Bowl History of the New England Patriots. Our thanks to Jerry and WTOP.com digital sports editor Noah Frank. For Jamal and Chris, I'm Dimitri. The DMV Sports Roundtable is on Apple Podcasts, the Podcast One app, PodcastOne.com, and WTOP's mobile app. Just tap listen. For Redskins fans, large and small, all around this wonderful world, God help us.